1: Welcome to Chopper's Politics. I'm Christopher Hope, The Telegraph's Associate Editor, Chopper to my pals, and today we're bringing you a bonus episode to react to Chancellor Rishi Sunak's spring statement. Among other things, the Chancellor announced a 5p cut to fuel duty and unveiled an increase in the national insurance contribution threshold to help households coping with a cost of living crisis.
2: This July, people will be able to earn £12,570 a year without paying a single penny
1: of income tax or national insurance. That is a £6 billion personal tax cut for 30 million people across the United Kingdom. A tax cut for employees worth over £330 a year. So now that we've let Sunak's statement sink in, for a few hours at least... Let's have a considered look at how today's announcements will affect our wallets. Joining me to crunch numbers are Associate Editor Gordon Rayner and Columnist Juliet Samuel. And before we start, I should say that Juliet has soldiered on despite fighting off the last vestiges of a COVID virus bout. Gordon Rayner, Juliet Samuel, welcome to Chopper's Politics. A quick one today, we're going to interpret and read and find out what on earth this spring statement means with your five takeaways, your five things you need to know. Gordon Rayner, the first one.
2: Well, uh, just to summarise the, the top lines, I guess we should do first, uh, Chris. Um, so motorists, 5p off a litre of petrol, um, starting now uh, up until March next year, when it may or may not then uh, go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, homeowners have been uh, given a 0% VAT Um, giveaway on any kind of uh, improvements that uh, increase the efficiency of their homes like solar panels, insulation, heat pumps Um, there is £500 million extra for the household support fund from April which is meant to help uh, the uh, poorest families uh, and then the big, um, the big rabbit that he pulled out of the hat was uh, a one p cut in income tax in the basic rate from, uh, nineteen uh, sorry from twenty p to nineteen p, which he says he will do before the next election, which he said will be in twenty twenty four. So he was kind of making two announcements in one. There, um, that's right. I,
1: I've got his tax planning published in my hand, and in it he mm. says. It will happen in April 2024. So the next election is after then. So May 2024. Oh, All rain. Look at you. You
2: know what you're doing there. Oh, May yeah. 24 could be the next election. Yeah. And then uh, we should also mention national insurance. He he, uh, did not cancel the national insurance increase, which I think we knew he wasn't going to do. But he did raise the threshold at which national insurance uh, becomes payable from £9,500 to £12,500. So basically bringing national insurance in line with income tax, which means that if you earn £12,570, you won't pay any income tax or national insurance at all. Okay, Juliet Samuel, what do you think about that then?
3: Well, it sounds great on the face of it, but when you actually look into the numbers, what you find is that last year the Chancellor announced uh, tax rises that are going to raise about £30 billion a year. And what he's just done today is to reverse about a third of those. So he's he's done tax cuts worth 10 billion pounds a year, but the net result is that taxes are still going to be massively up, uh, you know, in the course of this parliament than where they were going to be before.
1: Yes, that, that's right, and and Juliet's right there, Gordon, isn't mm. she? Because you know, if if you look at just those just the, the issue of um, of personal income tax and national yeah. insurance, then you can yeah. see there that the increase in in thresholds is going to be worth a five billion pound cut for workers. Yeah, the the income tax cut in April 2024 is worth a six billion giveaway. Yeah, that's eleven billion. Yep. But the increase in one25 percent of of NICS mm-hmm. is twelve billion. So we mm-hmm. are, as a group of people in this country, one billion pounds worse off, notwithstanding uh, with the other taxes there, which Juliet talked about.
2: Yeah,
0: uh,
3: I, I, there, there's. There's also, there's also a big line in the spreadsheet that he didn't even mention, um, which is to do with students. And actually, a lot, of, um, what, a lot of the extra money that's going to be collected by the exchequer is going to come from students due to basically reforms to repayment of student loans. But what this effectively means is that, yes, you're getting this income tax cut, Um, you know, at the very end of the Parliament, just before the the general election. But in the meantime, the tax burden on young people, on working people, is going up and up and up to fund, essentially, people who who have property and who who earn income at the higher end.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think people... um will look at this and they'll find it quite confusing, frankly, because they'll think, well, hang on a minute, I'm paying one and a half perc- 1.25% more national insurance, but I'm paying, I'm going to be paying a penny less income tax. What's the point of that? Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like, you know, taking money out of one pocket and putting it into the other. Um Paul Johnson of the uh, yes. of the IFS says that it, there will be a net benefit to anyone earning under £35,000. Um, so uh, the Chancellor will be pleased that such a respected figure as Paul Johnson has said that. Uh, equally, Paul Johnson says that 70% of workers uh, will see their taxes cut. Um, by more than they'll pay um, through the new national insurance levy. So I think there is a net benefit to people, but it's, it's very confusing to people as to exactly why he's done it the way he's yes. done it. And I think that is yeah. very much a political uh,
1: point. Well, well, so, you know, yeah, I mean, Juliet, Torsten Bell, from the Resolution Foundation, possibly the other economist, apart from Paul Johnson, who everyone listens to around this time of the year, he said, what do you do if you want to be a future concerted leader? you cut income tax. And isn't that what Gordon, Gordon Rayne is saying there? He's saying, why on earth are you increasing NICs and cutting income tax if it's not for basically a political message to the backbenches?
3: Yeah, well, this also raises the question of why we even have this crazy tax system in the first place, right? The reason we have the national insurance system, the reason we have this, you know, new health and social care levy is essentially political, a smokescreen, whereby you can increase taxes um, on the one hand, but still say that you're putting down the big tax, income tax, and everyone says hooray. But you know the the tax burden, all it does is shuffle it about a bit, and in fact, what it ends up doing is putting more of the tax burden on on working the working population, and less of it on the on the inactive population and the, the and pensioners. So, yeah, it's it, it's a sort of political added complication to the system that doesn't make it fairer or reduce the tax burden.
1: Okay, so that that's the personal taxation dealt with there, Juliet. What about the cost of living crisis, which so many of us are worrying about at the moment?
3: Well, there was almost nothing in the budget on that, and sorry, the spring statement. Um, essentially, he he gave a little more help to the lowest income households on energy bills, but it was really a negligible amount. And in fact, if you look at the OBR forecast for what's going to happen to real household incomes. It's actually a, a, quite a shocking uh, chart you see. You see the biggest fall in disposable income uh, basically since the chart, you know, the start of the chart, which goes back to the 1950s. Um, household incomes were forecast to go down 2% in one year this year. Um, and and there's, there was nothing, nothing at all in the budget to alleviate that or to address that. Or even anything about you know what monetary policy should do on inflation and the cost of living.
1: Yeah, Gordon, it's kind of hold tight for a big, for a big uh, roller
2: coaster, right? Yeah, um, I think, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, we heard Labour hammering him on the fact that he decided against a windfall tax on oil and gas. Um, Rachel Reeves, the Shadow Chancellor, um, was uh, making the point that uh, if if he had. Imposed a windfall tax on oil and gas that their profits have gone up so much that that would have raised uh, three billion pounds, which would have been mm. uh, quite a handy amount. Um, and uh, you know, she, she made the point that BP's described the the current energy crisis as a as a cash machine for them. So um, it's it's a it's a point which will which will um, go down well with a lot of uh, a lot of voters. I think this idea that m- maybe the, the the oil and gas companies could have um, taken a hit to, to help people out. Well. Yeah, there's a guy called Kevin Holdenrake, a
1: Tory MP on the Treasury Committee, making that very point. I think some MPs in the blue, in the red wall, the Tory MPs up there, Gordon, may think, mm. well, you know, the, I think it's a bit of a free hit at the moment on big oil companies and it might be worth yeah. quite a bit, literally.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, politically uh, it would be difficult to see how, um, you know, who would object to that other than mm. the um, other than the oil companies. Pension are, funds, pension funds might, love our pensions. Yeah. There are political reasons for not doing it. But, yeah. um, you know, when, when in fairness to um, to Rachel Reeves, a, a lot of uh, Sunak's statement today was was very much about um, presentation and politics. Uh, and so she has um, presentationally come up with an idea which will yeah. Yeah, get on well with people. And there's no, yeah. help, no help here, Gordon Rayner, for people with, with large oil tanks at their houses. No, that's... Thank you, Chris. That's me, as you know. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think people who... Uh, rely on fuel oil for their heating. Um, people who live in rural areas and have a, a tank of oil rather than gas or electricity, um, they've seen a, 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 perhaps the biggest increase in their fuel costs, and a lot of those are pensioners. Um, I, I was paying something like 37p a litre for heating oil not too long ago. Uh, I had a delivery the other day, and it was 130 pence a litre. Oh, gosh, uh, yeah. so that's um, that's the sort of increases you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, Juliet. No, but of course, that's, that's that's a small small portion of the
1: country with um, heating oil, Juliet.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair on the windfall tax point, it is a bit perverse that if you want your companies to produce more oil and gas, then probably now is not the time to whack up taxes on them. On the other hand, maybe you could have designed a, a clever tax that would have incentivized, you know new production but you know tax legacy profits or something like that um but yeah essentially there's not there's not going to be help for the vast majority of the country there's going to be a, a cost of living squeeze that you know the chancellor appears to have decided there's not much he can do can do about it or there's not much that he's willing to do about it and so you know it seems to be fingers crossed hope that it's temporary and we come out the other side in one piece
1: Julia I was struck by a, a warning in the back of of the blue book as we must call it not a red book this time that, that this cut in in income tax is subject to to events happening it says there that you know th- mm. th- there's enough fiscal headroom as as everything must be of course and and uh, the alarmingly didn't he, Rishi Sunak said in the chamber that the OBR has not accounted for the war in Ukraine yeah. We should be prepared for the economy and public finances to worsen potentially significantly. Um, yeah. what, what, what do you make of that? You, is it odd that there was no real? I mean, you talked about security, but did nothing. There's nothing on defence spending, for example. I mean, and the imp, and the uncertainty is huge, isn't
2: it?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it. Um, it, it is quite scary, essentially, because. You can see in all the charts, this big shock coming through, um, you know, which is inflation, which is the effect of the war in Ukraine. And then all the forecasts sort of, they pop back down again, again back into line afterwards and assume that everything's going to be okay. But, you know, at the same time, you have politicians talking about, oh, we need to stop buying Russian oil and gas and make a permanent change. And well, you know, if we're going to do that, how's that going to feed through into all of these um, costs? And all of these indicators you know it's not going to be a temporary blip it's going to be a, a structural change potentially to the whole economy and there the really was no discussion about how how to deal with that. I think the only, um, the only element to it that maybe you could see him preparing for that was the, the fact that he didn't you know as we've talked about he's raised taxes more than he's cut them, so perhaps you could argue he's sort of in the background, built up a bit of a war chest. Um, um, the reason he's building up this fiscal space is because things could get a lot worse.
2: Mm. He, talked, he talked about the OBR um, saying that fiscal headroom could be wiped out uh, with, a relatively small, with relatively small changes, and we're seeing some fairly big changes. Um, and that's, that's at a time when... Uh, as he pointed out, um, the government's going to be spending 83 billion on debt interest in the next financial year, which um, I think he said was four times what what they paid last year. They're huge sums of money. That, that's the size of a chunky government department just just on debt interest. So. You know, in fairness to, to Sunak, you can see why he's having to be um, slightly cautious when it comes to things like increasing defence spending or more or, yep. or giveaways because um, there's a lot of uncertainty and he's got a massive amount of debt to well, service.
1: Well, were you worried by the lack of news about defence spending? A lot of us thought there may be some more money for lethal weaponry. He, he claims, of course, that they have set this four year defence uh, spending window back only, only a few months ago. Is that enough for you, Juliet? <coughs>
3: no it's not enough i mean it, given all the rhetoric we've heard about uh you know we we're, we're in a new age now where europe has to wake up to the stress on its doorstep and you know we've lectured uh european countries about not pulling their weight which is fair enough because most of them don't but at the same time there doesn't really appear to be any Structural change to, to to the you know the balance of how we use our resources and what we think we're going to have to to spend on security in in the near future. So it's 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 a bit of a cop out essentially. I mean it's a, a head in the sand idea that we can kind of go on with this model where we tax and spend on on social services essentially, you know, without having to to put more and more into the cost of defense where we've essentially been been just coasting for a long time. Uh, Gordon?
2: I think that the point about the defense settlement is a very fair one but I also think that, um, that he he is leaving himself open to accusations that he's building up a war chest for election giveaways um, mm. at a time when he should be perhaps using that that money to help Ukraine. Um, Mm. and uh, again it's a a very much uh, you know we're talking about politics here rather than necessarily um, Well
1: we'll we'll, we'll come on to that I mean we've got the first three headlines we picked out are personal taxation, cost of living and the outlook for the economy the fourth one I think is business Uh, he signalled didn't he Juliet there'll be some support for businesses announced in the November budget coming into force in April next year
3: Yeah he talked about um the three big issues with uh with business how businesses spend their money and how they taxed to do with you know them training people um them spending enough on research and the fact that they don't invest enough and that essentially he's going to review all of these areas and look at you know why it is the tax system doesn't incentivize businesses doing what we want them to do which is to become high tech um, skill up their workforces and offer higher-paying jobs. Uh, that said, there was no word at all about corporation tax, which is essentially a tax on investment, um, and which is due to go up massively uh, from 19% to 25%. That was something that was done as a result of the pandemic. And there was no indication that that's going to be reversed. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, The the other thing I should say is on business rates, Um, there was uh, some relief for smaller businesses on business rates, but again, no... No real overhaul of the system, which, you know, most small businesses would say is hugely unfair and aggressive.
1: On the last edition of this podcast, Gordon, we spoke Mm. to Tony Danker, the CBI's director general, and he was saying what he wanted in the spring statement was evidence that they're putting growth at the heart of what has to happen. He says that without growth, you either have to increase spending or cut taxes to meet the ever increasing uh, government budget.
2: Yep, and uh, how many times do we hear chancellors uh, say <coughs> that uh, they're going to fund um, their their budgets through growth? Uh, answer every single time. <laughs> so <laughs> it is important, um, but it's it's almost a, it's almost alchemy, isn't it? Uh, they, they, they talk about growth. There's, there's, there are things that chancellors can do to, to try and promote growth, as you say, cut taxes on businesses. Um, but, uh, I, you know, at the moment, um, I, I suspect that Sunak feels he doesn't quite have the, um, the headroom to be able to do that, as well as cutting uh, personal taxes. So that's maybe why he's done the personal taxes now and the business taxes uh, later on. There was one mention of the word Brexit, wasn't there, Juliet, on, on the issue of VAT at
1: the beginning, but that was about it. Now, the idea that the CBI talked about was using the Brexit freedoms or Brexit opportunities to try and help companies outperform those on the continent. Have you seen any evidence of this being grasped yet by the government or by or by the Chancellor himself?
3: No, I mean we've seen tweaks here and there, but essentially this this goes to the broader point that Gordon was making about growth, which is that you know we've we've come out of the EU. We've negotiated for all of those freedoms that uh, the prime minister wanted, you know, at the cost of essentially leaving Northern Ireland half half in the EU. And we still don't know what the government wants to do with all this freedom, you know, why they negotiated for it and what they're going to change about the economy. What are they going to deregulate? How are they going to make life easier for businesses and, you know, change the model of the UK so that it's a, a higher growth, you know, more science intensive one or you know one that that just works better and there's really still no answer on that and they're running out of excuses you know the the pandemic isn't really taking up center stage anymore
1: it's odd isn't it gordon rayner because there's a big risk isn't there if you believe in brexit Mm. that say keir starmer wins the election in two years time here's a guy who isn't entirely comfortable with brexit let's put it Mm. it that way um in some eyes he could try and reverse elements of it I'm, I'm, I'm yep. surprised that the government isn't charging forward and, and cementing Brexit as, a, as an, an and shutting the door firmly on that debate of going back into or even
2: near the European Union's influence. Well, yeah, and uh, as Juliet said, there, there was a, a brief mention of Brexit. Um, Rishi Sunak said there was going to be a Brexit benefit for homeowners in this uh, cut in VAT from 5% to 0% on home improvements that improve energy efficiency like solar, insulation and heat pumps. Um, uh, I think we should also mention, by the way, that as he himself pointed out, uh, that equates to a £1,000 saving for a solar panel array, which means that it's going to come down from 20000 to £19,000. I'm not Gosh. sure that was what people were thinking of when they voted for Brexit. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think they, they, you know, there are opportunities for some... Some big ideas and big changes, and we're seeing very, very small beer. It's frustrating,
1: isn't it? And is, is it a problem in, in Whitehall? Do you think uh, Juliet, or is it the politicians don't believe in it? After all, that, all that all the talking.
3: I think that, for one thing, there has been distraction from the pandemic. But I think broadly, the problem is that every time you in, uh, embrace major change, there are winners and losers, and you know, there's a whole load of vested interests who win from the current system, um, especially on the regulatory side, who are going to fight every change tooth and nail. And, you know, the winners from it are potentially speculative um, and, you know, they don't exist yet. So there's a natural inertia to any kind of major reforms, you know, especially remodeling your entire economy. And I think that the government has allowed itself simply to be Bogged down in that, and to end up just tweaking things rather than, you know, being prepared to fight any major battle.
1: Okay, finally, the, the, the fifth area, with the fifth takeaway from all this, Gordon Rayner has mm. to be the
2: politics of it. The
1: budgets yep. are always political. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
2: I think this one m- more than many, uh, uh, because of where we are in the electoral cycle. Uh, as as we've discussed, he's looking at a twenty twenty four election. Um, we know from, from what he told us today that he has got, um, a fair amount of headroom that he says he's being cautious about that because of, uh, the danger that that headroom could be wiped out. Um, but the fact that he's, that he's already announced a 1% cut in income tax two years out from a general election does make you ask the question, well, what is he planning next? Because if, you know, you don't normally, um, go for that sort of, um, uh, you know, big announcement this far up, this far out from a general election. So, so what else will he do? You presume he's got some big ideas. Um, clearly, he's thinking about um, <laughs> positioning himself to take over from Boris Johnson at some point. Um, and I think the the point that we have to take into account when we were talking earlier about the the sort of slightly confusing picture of more NICs but but lower income taxes that they are trying to. Um, maneuver Labour into a position mm. where Labour don't really have anywhere to go. Um, with national insurance, they've they've put it up to this this very high figure now, where it's going to be very hard for Labour to say we're going to spend more on the NHS by increasing your national insurance even more. They, they, they'd be very brave to do that. Um, and equally, um, Labour would be very brave to say we're going to reverse um, an income tax cut because that's going to be very popular with people. So it, there you know there is some clever politics at play here. Um, you know there's some risky politics too but this is why they're doing it Um, it's so that uh, Keir Starmer is going to struggle to say that these are bad ideas and he's going to change them
1: Uh, Juliet, Juliet, where do you see see the the, the politics of this? Is Gordon right that they're they're trying to manoeuvre the Labour Party into a place where they can take them on I mean the big issue, the big problem remains now that the Tories can't be trusted on tax can they? They've increased national insurance when they said they wouldn't on page 2 of the 2019 manifesto
3: yeah, I think they are trying to get a bit out of this uh, problem they created last year, which was that they stopped being the low tax party and suddenly Labour became the party uh, arguing for tax cuts. And they're trying to reverse that a bit and do tax cuts that then, you know, Labour will find itself arguing against. But I also think that there's some maneuvering, sort of, by Sunak, uh, with regard to the Tory Party itself, some internal party management, whereby, you know, after last year, a lot of MPs and members were grumbling. Well, you know, this guy's gone native in the Treasury. Whatever happened to Tory government? And so he's trying to give them a some goodies or a kind of indication that it's not just rhetoric that he's not just in his heart a tax cutter but he really is prepared to do it and he's trying to do that before his reputation as a, a treasury suit sets in too much
1: I was struck by that interview in the mail Sunday at the weekend when on the wall there's a picture of do- do- um, Nigel Lawson of course mm-hmm. who who cut income tax um, over five years 83 to 87 didn't he by about five points five percentage points from memory so the, he maybe wants these
2: is in a Lawson possibly
3: yeah, he, he'd like to think
2: so. <laughs> Robert Jenrick, the former cabinet minister, said uh, that the, the Lawson portraits will be looking down admiringly on him. So that mm. will have uh, been music to see next year, I'm sure. We can ask Lawson himself. He is around. We can yeah. ask him what he thinks of all this.
1: Yeah. But the, the, there, is, there is politics here, isn't there? I mean, it is. Um... He is manoeuvring here. He's, he's cutting income tax on the eve of the, next, of the next general election. As Gordon says, there'll be more to come from that. He's trying to create the, the necessary headroom for more, for more cuts. Um, and he's, he is the man to beat, isn't he? If um, Boris Johnson does have to fall on his sword over Partygate, and that could still happen when Ukraine is less in the news, and maybe the police come back. And Sue Gray, remember her? She does her full report finally. Um, do you think he, he is he strengthened his position now with the backbenchers, Rishi Sunak, uh, Juliet?
3: Yeah, I think so. Uh, Because the main thing that people would say about Rishi Sunak in the period when Boris was most in trouble was, well, I I like him, you know, he seems very charming, but what are his politics? You know, maybe he's, is he really a, a Tory? Is he really a tax cutter? So that's what he has to address in terms of his support in amongst the MPs and amongst the party and yeah, you know, despite everything, despite all the, the the hard reality we can look at and say, well actually the numbers don't bear out what he's saying, you know, you saw the cheers in the chamber today from the Tories. They just love the prospects of, you know, being able to cheer a tax cut in, in the chamber and that will have an effect, you know, despite everything
2: else. Yeah, he said it was the biggest net cut in personal taxes in over 25 years, didn't he? And that, that was what got the massive cheer. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you could say that it's partly because he's put taxes up so much that he's cut them. But... <laughs> well, they have. Went down he, well. He, but it went down there well. There were
1: some f- figures on the Telegraph website today that show that that uh, John Major and Margaret Thatcher cut taxes up by about 3% and Labour under Blair and Brown and then Tories under Cameron May and and Boris Johnson all increased in in their terms by about three percent over the the times that they're, they're they've been in office. So there's a worry here that we are just going towards a high tax economy and and productivity is suffering, isn't it, Juliet?
3: Yeah, I think that's that's definitely the case. And I think that um, one of the, the the forces dragging us there is, of course, that we have an aging population. So you know, there's more and more of the population relies on health services and relies on pensions um but at the same time you know you've you've also had a government that's decided over the long term it's going to subsidize low wages and you know have a kind of benefit system that is essentially paid to most of the workforce whether you have a job or not um rather than trying to address you know any underlying issues that have caused that so you know and once you've spent the money it's very very hard to take it away again so you, know, you end up with this inexorable dragging force that drags your tax base up and up.
1: Do you think, uh, stepping back, Gordon Wainey, we have an idea of what Sunakism is. I mean, Lawson became this... Uh, Lawsonism was about tax c- cutting income tax, basically. Mm. What do we think Sunakism might be after... He, the, the, I, the, the last budgets yeah. he did, of course, have been in the white tea, the white heat of COVID. Yeah. This is the first kind of almost a post-COVID budget. Yeah.
2: Gordon, I, I don't. I don't feel massively nearer to knowing. I, I think the the one p cut in um, in income tax was the most striking um, element of uh, of this statement. Uh, I think that that is clearly trying to point the way um, to where he wants to go. Um, so I, I think that he wants people to think that Sunakism is uh, is tax cutting. Uh, but as you said, um, he's had to respond to these, you know, unprecedented. Trio of crises that's meant that he's um, he's not been able to, but he's had to be very reactive, hasn't he, mm-hmm. rather than proactive. So I, I think the jury's still out. I think we'll have a, a much better idea after the next full budget. Yep. Um, and as, as we said earlier, it's going to be fascinating to see if he can do something even more eye-catching than cutting income tax um, in the next two years.
1: And Julia, just finally to you, what's your, what do you think, Sun- Sunakism, if it is, if anything?
3: I really don't think we know right now. I think the tendency is to think that Sunak is a Davos man. Uh, He's got the suit, he's got the hoodie, he's got the Instagram account of a, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, and I don't think there's really, we've seen anything to disprove that so far. So we'll see.
1: Gordon Rayner, our associate editor, and Juliet Samuel, one of our commentators, thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics. Great to have you both on. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Chris. Thanks
3: very much.
1: Well, that's all for this Spring Statement special edition of Chopper's Politics. Please let me know your thoughts on what Rishi Sunak had to say. Email me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or tweet me at chopperspodcast. And if you want to hear more from Gordon or from Juliet and their expert analysis, why not become a Telegraph subscriber? Go to telegraph.co.uk chopper to get your first month completely free of charge. Please don't say we don't treat you, particularly in a cost of living crisis. Thank you to my guests this week, the Telegraph's own Gordon Rayner and Juliet Samuel. Thank you to my producers, Louisa Wells, Giles Gear, and Theodora Luludis. But most importantly of all, thank you to you for listening. And for more about what's happening in the world of politics, please sign up to my Chopper's Politics newsletter, delivered every weekday into your email inbox. The link to sign up to that will be in the show notes to this episode. And of course, if you can, please do buy a copy of The Daily Telegraph. I know you won't regret it. Until next time, though, cheerio!